When I say church killers, I'm talking about things that destroy community, things that destroy a faith community. And from day one, there has always been something that works against faith communities. And that's what we've been looking at. Uh, we've been touching topics that are church killers. And by that we mean what destroys our community, what destroys our faith, our unity, our testimony. And we've looked at wrong teaching, lies in disguise. If you missed that message, it's on the website, it's on the app. We looked at gossip, words spoken without reason. There are words spoken in season, but there are also words spoken without reason. And we looked at that, I believe, last week. Today we're going to look at one more that's been a church killer since the time the church was born. A major killer since the first century. All across the world, all across all cultures, all languages, this one problem you'll find whether the church is educated, uneducated, poor or rich. And that is legalism. Legalism. And we'll define that and understand where it comes from and how it has new faces today. And I just want to bring that, put it on the table and let the Spirit of God do something with it depending on where we're at with that. And Paul addresses this with a call to maintain the freedom that Christ has gifted us with. Christ has given you a freedom maintain that freedom in the community of faith and we've been delivered and sealed by the work of christ through our faith in him jesus did something and by his work we have been sealed we've been delivered and we are now free in him not by any personal holiness or by keeping of the law so when you go back to coming up with laws when you go back to living a certain way saying this is spirituality this is christianity this is what is right this is what is uh, the way to do it. Then you're moving away from a certain, and we've got to be wise about that and what is actually right and what is actually just a pseudo sort of a setup. So when we come up with <coughs> new and updated laws that bondage people, it's called legalism. When we come up with new and updated laws that bondage people, put people back in prison, in, in, in shackles, it's called legalism. And today I want to check what Paul says on this and how we bring legalism back in very subtle ways. Very subtle. Are, you, are you ready for this? Yeah, some of you have even been burnt by legalism. And some of you have seen leadership that's been bad and used legalism as a very powerful tool to, to kind of destroy your faith and uh, it's been used and abused and i just want to address it and i address these church killers not saying that every church killer is part of cdc i'm not saying that we have a problem in every area but it needs to be put on the table as things that destroy the church so that at least when we see hints of it when we begin to see subtle hints of it we're able to pick it up and say you know what that's not okay that's not okay. So let's get straight into the passage which I want, which I want to expose uh, this morning where Paul addresses this freedom issue. You'll find it in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and we're looking at the first 16 verses. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. I'm going to read through the whole passage. It's not a long passage and then we'll go back to the top and pick it up again. If you don't have a Bible, somebody near you will definitely have a Bible and I trust that it will be on the screen as well. I'm reading from the ESV. For freedom Christ has set us free, Galatians 5 verse 1. And stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
you are severed from Christ. You, would, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, capital S, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of, the, of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. But only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, may I warn you, leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, no other persuasion, and, one who is, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, whoever is bringing in this wrong teaching, this legalism. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish this... I wish those who unsettle you would be would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in that one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh go back to verse one and i want to work through that with you and then when we get to our practical part we're going to be looking right through that itself so you'll find the principles coming from that for freedom christ has set us free it is for freedom Christ has set us free. That seems like almost a too obvious statement to make. Why are you even saying that, Paul? It just seems so. for freedom Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free so that you will be free, that you will remain free. What's the depth of that? What's the significance of that statement? While it is so obvious and out there, what you, be, what you see Paul bring out afterwards is the enemy of freedom. There is a certain freedom that has been gifted to us in Christ. There are large parameters within which we are free to do whatever we want. You know, like you must marry a believer, someone who loves the Lord Jesus and is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. But between those lines, you can marry anyone. Black, white, yellow, green, fat, thin and everything in between. You can marry anyone who loves the Lord and has Jesus as Lord of their life. Because Jesus wants to be Lord of your home. That's one example. And wherever you look at it in life, you cannot, you cannot say, this is the will of God for my life. This is the person. This is the way. This is the car. This is the color. We got to, be, we got to understand God gives us large parameters to live within large boundaries to live within he gives us acres of land to run in between and whatever is within that is in his will so there are very large parameters it's not the straight and narrow to everything and that's something that we need to understand so for freedom that christ has set us free so so stand firm interesting stand firm to defend your freedom that's what our soldiers are doing on the borders the reason they are disciplined, the reason they stand in uniform, the reason they stand night and day in the cold, in the heat, no matter what, is to defend a freedom that we already have. To defend a freedom that we already had. So freedom can be lost. 
Freedom can be taken away. There are enemies of freedom. And it's the subtle things that take our freedom away. He says, so stand firm, but do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Again seems that you were once under slavery. Now that you are set free from slavery, it would be foolish and unwise to go back to slavery again. That doesn't make any sense. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 2, I Paul say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's a very powerful verse. It's a very powerful verse. So you ask why circumcision? Well, that was the issue here in what Paul is dealing with in that church in Galatia. What was happening is, is that different people were preaching different things. And in that church, people were getting saved. And in Galatia, people were getting saved out of a, out of a non-Jewish non-Jewish background. So these non-Jewish background people, non, uh, the, the non-Jews, the non-Israelites, they were obviously not circumcised. So the question then arose, if circumcision was signed that you are separate unto God, you are cut off for God, you are separate unto God, then shouldn't anybody coming into the body of Christ, shouldn't anybody coming to faith in Christ also be circumcised? So you're taking a legal uh, practice, a tradition, you're taking something that has significance in the old law and applying it to the new life. So people were teaching that and they were propagating that those who are coming to Christ should show by that external sign that they are committing to Christ. Should they or should they not be? And Paul is aghast. He's like, what on earth are you talking about? And then he, he makes this statement, he says, if you accept this teaching, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Look at that. Christ will be of no, now take, circumcision is one law, but take all laws and apply it. Now when you take the old law that people lived under to try and look righteous in the sight of God, which we have abandoned, now we are, now we are riding on Christ's personality, Christ's character, Christ's uh, work we're not riding on our own work so when you take something any law and he says Christ will be of no advantage to you he goes on to warn you in verse 3 he says if you accept one law remember that the deal is either you accept the whole thing or you don't accept anything the deal is, if you break one law, you have broken the whole law. It's like a necklace. It's like a necklace. You break one off, the whole thing comes unraveled. You can't say, three I kept, seven I broke. You can't say, one I kept, nine I broke. Nine I kept, one I broke. You can't say that. If it's broken, it's broken. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. And when you break a covenant, doesn't matter how good you've been in all the other areas, if it's broken, it's broken. So he says, if you take one law, then you need to take all the laws. So essentially, you have abandoned Christ and you've returned to living under the law. That's how serious this is. You know, you want to know how serious it is? Look how, look, look how Paul puts it across. He says in verse 4, if you do that, you are severed from Christ. You know what severed means, right? And that rings a bell. It kind of parallels circumcision. He says, you go back to circumcision, you are severed from Christ. Some pretty serious language used 
in the context of the issue raised there. And he says, those of you wanting to be justified, not by Christ, but by keeping of the law, you have fallen away from grace. He's not fallen from grace, but fallen away from grace. Here's the umbrella of grace. Remember I talked about a covering last time? A covering? You have come out from under that covering. You're walking away from under that covering. You are severed from Christ, those of you who want to be justified by the keeping of law. So when you go back to laws, having now received under Jesus' work, freedom and grace, you are asking for trouble, Paul is saying. Verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, by faith. We are not working it through it by obeying all the law. We are working it through faith that we will receive it from the law. Receive it from the law. Verse 6. For in Christ, inside Christ, in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So it is only what your heart believes and what your covenant with God is that counts for anything. It is not your performance, but your position in Christ. Did you get that? It's not your performance, but your position in Christ. Then verse 7, the pastoral heart comes out. We're just going through the passage here. I hope that you're in your Bible. The pastoral heart comes out. He says, guys, you were doing so good. You came to Jesus. You understood what he did for you. You were, you were blown away by his love, by his grace. You fell at the foot of the cross. You gave your life to Christ. Your sins were rolled away. You were washed clean. The charge sheet against you was torn in heaven. There is no record. All records of you and your sin in heaven were burnt up. They were torn up. They were destroyed in Jesus. He says he took upon himself the sin and destroyed it in his body. Boom. And you experience the joy of the Lord. You are flying. You are absolutely enjoying the, the lightness of being forgiven. And you are doing so well. And now what? Suddenly you are now going back to something that bound you in the first place. And the pastoral heart screams out saying, you were running so well. Once upon a time you were so close to God. You were on fire for the Lord. There was such a lightness of your heart and spirit. You, were an ex you, you did so well with regard to how you walked with Jesus. How you portrayed Christ to others. And now you're getting stuck again in some sort of a legal game. What's going on? Then he says, this persuasion, this Doctrine, this persuasion, is not from him, Jesus, who called you. It's not coming from Jesus. It's coming from somewhere else. And when you allow a little bit into it, a little bit, a little leaven, it leavens up the whole lump. You know what leaven is, right? It's yeast. And yeast goes right through the whole system. It doesn't just fluff, fluff up one part of the bread. You put yeast, it goes right through and fluffs up the whole thing. And yeast has always been a symbol of sin. That's why we have, it should break. The bread should break. I don't understand. A lot of churches have breaking of bread, including our own. And we have bread with yeast. And that doesn't make any sense in my head. Chapati would be better. Uh, crisps and, 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 and crackers would be better. And bread without yeast. So that when you break it, it must go katak. And that katak is the, 
is a remembrance that Jesus was broken for you. He was broken. Here broken When I was a kid, they got the ones with the plums. The buns that came, they came with the plums. So we boys, all the sons of the elders in the church that had the audacity, we'd run up over there, we'd tear that, put some butter and everything because it was always left over. It was always left over. People had pitched at it, it was always left over. You cut it, take it. It was always, because it had been sanctified now, it would taste much better. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We got uh, apple juice, which should be grape juice which is the fruit of the vine. So we got apple juice, gold coin. I don't know what we're doing with that. And then we got bread with yeast. And we are, you know, remembering that we are no more without sin, but we're eating bread with yeast in it. So that's where everything goes wrong. It's, it's, not, it's just a joke. It, it, there's no problem because the heart is what counts. But a little leaven does what? So you let a little legalism come in. Tomorrow you will have five laws. Then you'll have ten laws. And... 200 years down the track, you'll be a church that says, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is Christianity. If you do it our way, it's Christianity. This is how Christ is known. A little leaven leavens up the whole. Jump with me to verse 13. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, but don't let that freedom become an opportunity for the flesh. What does that mean? We'll look into it in just a bit. Don't let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Because that's the point. Whenever I put a law on the table, I'm putting people out. Whenever I remove the law and replace it with love, then I'm serving. I cannot serve and rule at the same time. I cannot rule over you and serve you at the same time. Either I'm ruling over you or I'm serving over you. I can't do both. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That encapsulates the whole thing. But if you bite and look at the... Look at the terminology here. Look at the picture words here. If you bite and devour one another, watch out. You're going to eat each other up and there's going to be nothing left. That's what it says. Watch out that you do not consume one another. What a picture. What an accurate picture of the church today. They're all biting each other, devouring each other, and by the end of it, nothing's left. Wow. Then verse 16, which I chose to end with, although it kind of come, goes into the next passage in your, uh, in your Bibles, according to the breakup. It says, but I say to you, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, the, you will not gratify the desires of it. Again, he says the flesh. So the first part he says, uh, don't let it become an opportunity for the flesh. We'll pick up on that. And the second thing he says is, don't, uh, you, you will not gratify the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. That's the second time. He, so he brings up the whole issue of flesh or carnal or carnality. And I want to go to the, go, try to go over the issue of what we, or why we call people carnal Christians. Why we say carnal Christians. Alright, so that's our passage and we've gone through it and get an idea of what Paul is dealing with. And we're not going to deal with circumcision because that's not the issue today. But how does legalism trickle into a church like ours? How does legalism trickle into a 21st century church? Here are four subtle ways that I thought of. I'm sure you can come up with more. Number one is traditional Christianity. Traditional Christianity. Most of you will find this at weddings, in the way a service is conducted in the way ceremonies are conduct, conducted, in the way habits and, and the way we do things. It becomes such a way of doing things that you have now become comfortable with it. Okay? 
like for instance, I'm just going to blow your mind, okay? So you walk in here, service starts at 9 o'clock, so you never see 9 o'clock. Most people come after 9 o'clock because they want to let the Holy Spirit come first. <coughs> it's a great thing, wonderful. It's like coming to meet God. You get there first, I'll meet you. And, and they come in over here and just imagine 9-5 when you're walking in, I'm into my message. I'm well into my message and I'm preaching. And you'll be like, I did that once. I think I did that once a few years ago. People, they changed the timing. Who changed the timing? You didn't tell us. You changed the timing. You didn't tell us. They got furious. We went back to our tradition. And I had just introduced this as an experiment for a month. We said, let's do this. And I'd learned it and heard about it from other places where you preach the word first, which is God speaks to me first. And my worship is a response to what God has said. Yeah? You know? <laughs> it's not like you come here, we'll tell you, tell you, tell you, now tell us. So it's a response to what God is. Wow, is that God? Is that amazing? Is that what? And the worship is a response to what? Well, we wanted to experiment with that. People get they got wild. We got stinkers. We got email stinkers. We got all sorts of things. What is this? Why is the message? We have missed half of it. I'm like, come on time then. That's just an example. Just an example of a very 21st century modern situation where when we change slightly, we're like, no, no, no. Half an hour? <laughs> Worship. Half an hour, the word. As soon as it hits nine, 10 o'clock, we're all looking at our watch. <laughs> That's how it is. And CDC people who claim to be, you know, we are this, you know, modern, you know, contemporary church and all that. And we think we don't have any traditions. You try go visiting some of the other churches. What is this so long? Two hours, two and a half hours, 60 minutes are done. And little, little things done over a period of time, long enough. And there are, your kids have grown up in this church. Some of our kids know no other church. They've grown up in this church and they see anything different to the way we do it. And they're like, no, that's not right. Listen to the statement. That's not right. And that is legalism. Whenever you say this is binding, this is how we do it. No matter what it is, even if it's just the way things are done. When Chai disappeared for four weeks. When Chai disappeared for four weeks. Do you remember the revolution? Outside, what, what, there's no chai, where's the chai? It rattled us, we have gotten into certain, that's why I put the word habits there. There's weddings, there's ceremonies, there's habits. Every wedding I do, the rehearsal. The rehearsal is no more to practice. You know, when you practice, it's to get something perfect. Now the rehearsals are to find out what is the common ground between the eight opinions that we have there. And according to some cultures, she must stand on the left. Or to some cultures, she must stand on the right. I don't understand this because in the Christian marriage, Jesus is in the middle. I want to know where Jesus is standing. That's what I want to know. And the second thing I don't understand is from God's point of view and the angels are looking from there, which is left and right. Are you with me? So from God's point of view, say, no, she must. And when she's coming in, who's going to walk with her? Who's not going to walk with her? Who's already come? Who matters? Who doesn't matter? 
all of who will sit in front who will sit on the left who everything is sorted facing the crowd facing the front in the last two weeks i had all those issues and and we the whole we're all standing we're stumped we're at a crossroad we are at a dead end because we can't decide should they face the audience or should they face the front and the angels are going it's all the same to us you're on a globe and you're spinning millions of miles around and we can get hung up bound up on those things and that's legalism that itself is not the issue but then the attitudes that come with that and then the discord and then the conflict and then the relationship breakdown that come with a small thing people have said that churches are split over the color of the carpet so we don't have carpet <laughs> traditional christianity is one of the subtle ways a very not so subtle actually sometimes but one of the subtle it'll show up in weddings especially it'll show up in ceremonies habits services i like funerals <laughs> don't hear what i'm not saying <laughs> but funerals is what's the point of having any ceremony he's gone you know, so it's, it's very simple. You dig a hole, you put him. There's no coming out, nothing, not now. <laughs> dig a hole, now you put it back. So we'll try, we'll start to help the guy because he's got the shovels. So we start, so seven, eight of us come forward, we help him a little bit, little bit we put in and then we cry and we go out. I like funerals, very simple. We never have any issues over funerals, but birthdays, births, dedications, weddings this is where it all comes out and you begin to see it is not the spirit of god that's leading us it is traditions number two is cultural supremacy i'm not going to spend too much time on this because this can get pretty personal and cdc is a beautiful blend of all the cultures <clears throat> but i have to tell you that 17 years ago when i started to pastor this church there was the tamilian group standing in one place and we had the malayali group in another place and we had the Northeast people moving very fast out. <laughs> At that time, we didn't have many Oriyas. Now we have got major Oriya representation. So now they've got separate group. And I used to, with my personality, because I am not Gharka na Ghatka. Okay, <laughs> my grandmother is Burmese. My, father, my grandfather who married my Burmese grandmother is Tamilian. And my grandfather from my mom's side is Malayali. And my grandmother from my mom's side is Karnatakan. And I was born in Bangalore and I got raised in Delhi. And I've been in Delhi for 45 years. So I can make fun of North Indians, <laughs> Northeast Indians, South Indians. And every time they say anything to me, I'll pull up one card. And my grandmother, my girl. <laughs> you can't, you can't. <clears throat> we had to break that. We had to break that so that we are Jesus. We are Jesus first. And then everything else. Cultural supremacy. When it comes to actually some culture being presented what is actually a cultural thing is presented as christianity 
this this type of worship this type of uh, way of doing this this type of uh, ceremony this type of dressing this type if this is what is what is actually cultural it's not uh, it's not a christian thing it's not in the bible it's actually a culture but it's projected as a spiritual or a christian thing this is how a christian dresses no this is how a christian tamilian dresses this is how a christian miso dresses this is how a christian you get where i'm going with this so we celebrate culture and we redeem culture by all means and that's another sermon the redemption of culture and is a beautiful thing so we maintain culture and we redeem culture i'm not talking about religion but culture god gave culture but at any time culture becomes supreme over spirituality or christianity then we got a problem we've got a problem we need to be careful it's a one subtle way in which legalism can sin the third way is dictatorship personality a dictator personality maybe culture is not so strong maybe tradition is not so strong but you got one auntie you got one father one mother one auntie one uncle one person who's just overriding that person's opinion is it it's his way or the highway <laughs> nothing else counts i mean have to ask uncle have to ask uncle if uncle says uncle was uncle is saying uncle the uncle is uncle paying for the snow but uncle said that who will pay <laughs> and in in india we we respect our older people we respect our, our community and we are a close knit community but then when close knit community have a very strong dominating domineering personality it could be a mother it could be a father it could be anything but one person rides the whole wave that person then begins to decide what is right what is wrong who prays here who does this who does that and it can is that wrong i'm not saying that itself is wrong i'm saying that can become the basis for the introduction of legalism the basis for the introduction of legalism his opinions and preferences become the law of the land number 4 is pseudo spirituality pseudo spirituality i don't have a problem with smoking i've never had a problem with smoking and i begin i then begin to talk about smoking as a horrible sin i can talk about it. so i'm 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 a committed uh, believer in jesus christ i have never smoked what does that put everybody else who struggles with smoking and suddenly there's this pseudo spirituality that spirituality is no smoking i i just took a very small example you get where i'm going with this i don't have a problem with smoking i have a problem with five other things i'm not going to tell you you thought i'm going to tell you no i'm not going to tell you i'll tell you what i don't have a problem with i don't have a problem with smoking i don't have a problem with drinking there are 150 other people who do but when i start projecting that as spirituality a way of talking a way of acting a habit of this a habit of that or or i take time time because i am always punctual sometimes it's a personality issue this is how i this is how we do things and this is how it must be. that becomes spirituality then you say that's how everybody should do it legalism that's why so subtly comes in comes in through personalities a, a pseudo spirituality a self righteousness that is projected on others a certain keeping of self made laws that is projected as spirituality it looks spiritual oh and that guy is so disciplined he's so spiritual sounds so spiritual but it's not it's not it's a solid cover up for his real sin so solid whenever guy is talking about a man or a woman is talking about how they are so victorious or strong in that area and how they really believe they're covering something grace is extends the cover it extends the cover you know 
you just look at that picture where you've got either a you know a plastic sheet or you've got like a, 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 a I don't know like a shawl or you've got a, an umbrella and somebody else comes and they're in the rain and they, as they come, come out of the rain and you extend it over them that's the church that's the church that's Jesus that's how it looks like when a believer brings in somebody else and extends the cover of grace over that person and says, come on in, come on in, come as you are. So, the goal and the guide. The goal is brotherly love and maintenance of freedom in Christ. Whenever we see anything that's becoming a threat, sorry, I'm clicking my fingers too many times today. But whenever we see anything as a threat to freedom, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to be careful. Names ways of doing things, personality types, traditions, ceremonies. Whenever something becomes binding, and then the natural tension, natural instinct to say, hey, that's wrong, this is right, when it's not in the Bible, and God never said that, then we got a problem. We have to defend, as Paul says in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. So the goal is brotherly love, let us serve one another, and the maintenance of freedom. The guide, the guide, look at verse 16, is the Holy Spirit. The guide is the Holy Spirit. But if you walk by the Spirit, you will not what? Gratify. First, first he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And the second thing he says, you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. The flesh wants to look spiritual. That's the problem with the flesh. The flesh wants to look spiritual. And it wants to find a justification for feeding its own needs and gratifying itself while looking spiritual on the top that's a carnal thing carnal christianity is living by the flesh but acting like you're in under the control of the holy spirit faith communities are driven by the spirit of god not by traditions not by cultures not by dominating personalities and not even by pseudo spiritual lifestyles Faith communities are driven by the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit of God saying to us today? How does the Spirit of God want us to do this thing? In this service, what is the Spirit of God wanting us to do? What is the Holy Spirit leading us in this particular ceremony or this habit or this new ministry? Not tradition, not culture. Those can affect, those can bring. But the moment they become binding, we have moved into legalism. What, what is the law is the law of the Spirit, that we are to be under the Holy Spirit and His guiding and leading. Sometimes the Spirit of God leads in a very similar way. Sometimes He leads in a very similar way. Sometimes He leads differently. The question is, have we stopped listening to the Spirit of God? Take what I'm saying this morning and what we are studying this morning and take it deep inside. First ask, is there anything that is in my life that is traditionally driven, pseudo-spirituality, any personality in my life that dictates to me what spiritual life is all about, any culture that has become more important to me than God's word, God's uh, community. And then think about our own cultures and how we are spiritual. 